Blog Talk Radio. We are the UR Tennis Network. Our mission is to be the voice of tennis. We enlist a team of passionate enthusiasts to promote our sport. We strive to bring interesting perspectives on the many spins of tennis. Our goal is to provide the learners of our sport with current news and information from many angles. We seek active participation from communities interested in tennis, but tennis is not interested in them. We are expanding our outreach. Tennis is a true lifetime sport that needs to be talked about, and the UR Tennis Network pledges to pursue this idea relentlessly. Coach Denise? Hi, Coach. How are you? Oh, I'm glad. I got, I'm glad to be on. Thank you. Well, thank you. As you fans uh, know, those of you that were tuning in on Thursday evening, uh, you listened to me ramble on for uh, an hour. Hopefully uh, it wasn't too uh, boring. But uh, as we tried to do for the month of October is to make sure we had all our coaches on, and we wanted to save our keynote, keynote coach uh, for Thursday, and uh, we had a problem. Uh, you were forced to listen to me for an hour, but we have coach uh, your pro- Hey, John, it wasn't your problem. It was my problem. I apologize. I dropped the ball, man, and I'm just glad. Thanks for having me on. Anyway, uh, too many moving parts, man. It's just, uh, but th- thank you for understanding. <laughs> thank you. I'm glad to be on, though, today. Well, I'm looking forward uh, to uh, next week. Uh, boy, the time has just seemed to fly by this year. I don't know if it's just getting older or what, but uh, uh, Orlando should be uh special place, and Thursday we'll be at the Orlando Mall for the Florida Athletic Coaches Association workshop. And as those of you know, that the Florida High School Tennis Coaches Association is the tennis arm of the uh, FACA, and we've been conducting all the uh, tennis workshop, bringing you all the guests and uh, speakers there and I've had been blessed over the years to uh, – I, I, I really – I know I have my own bias like everybody else does, but I really think our speakers and workshop uh, is equal to uh, any of the uh, others. And I'm a longtime member of the uh, PTR and uh, go to Hilton Heaven every year. Uh, and uh, I just still think that uh, I've been blessed to be able to have the people on. And this year is no exception. I think we have an outstanding agenda. You can go to Florida, this past issue of Florida Tennis Magazine, and see the agenda there. Or you can go to uh, our website, www.fhstca.org, and find the agenda there. And uh, I'm proud to say that our keynote speaker uh, will be working the whole uh, weekend, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, is uh, 
the Honorable Coach Chuck Reese, and I don't have to introduce you to him. Uh, uh, everybody knows about what he's done at Clemson, the Hall of Fame coach, and now he's at the Citadel. Uh, those of you, I will say, just here, though, before I start to talk to Chuck, especially you young coaches, if you're not listening to his show on Wednesdays, uh, you really are missing out because it's very informative. Uh, I like the way uh, in past uh, weeks he seems to be uh, going from uh, the, the guest to uh, giving his uh, uh, lesson plans. And uh, those of you that do not have the coaching tennis, uh, it's a book that, well, my book truthfully is looks kind of raggedy, but it's uh, only because it's used so much. And all the coaches that have worked for me over the years has had the uh, book. Matter of fact, I'm down to my last um, book now, and the only reason that I don't lend that out no more, I used to keep a library of uh, books when I lent them out, uh, but we lost our home in the hurricane in 2004. And this one was autographed by uh, Chuck, so uh, truthfully, I don't lend it out no more. But, uh, Coach, I just want to thank you so much for uh, attending the, the workshop and taking on the lead role here. And I just want to tell you I really appreciate that. And I'd like to start off maybe because... I can relate. Hopefully it's not just me, but uh, being a former basketball coach and then getting into uh, the tennis industry when my son uh, wanted me to go with him, those of you that don't know, the, the John Denise School of Tennis was not named after me. It was named after my son, and uh, I, was, I worked for uh, him uh, during the, that time. But when I decided to become a coach rather than a tennis pro, uh, that's when I sat there and went to reading coaching tennis and listening to Chuck Reese at workshops. And, Coach, would you expand just a little bit? Because I, am I alone or there is a difference between being a tennis pro and a coach, correct? Or am I out no, there? I, I absolutely believe so. Just like there's a difference between, uh, I, I, you know, I'll tell kids when they're not motivated, I'll, I'll say, uh, or if, no, no, here, if they complain or if parents complain to me that things are getting too hard and I'm too pushing the kids too hard, I'll say to them often, I'll say, well, there's three kinds of coaching or teaching. There's, you know, you re- resort teaching where you say oh they uh billy we've got new rackets in here and mrs jones uh we've got new dresses try them on and then i said then there's country club uh coaching where you all right billy let's run six laps and oh boy that forehand's looking good and and uh mrs jones uh you know i I heard your little daughter's coming along too and then i said i'll tell the kids and then there's coaching and I'll say often, I don't think I can give you the coach, the real coaching. 
And the kids almost always say, no, no, coach, I want the real coach. I, no, 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 you, you, you know, you're complaining about how hard it is here. And Mrs. Jones, I can't give the real coaching. I just and I try to drive that point home that you just made, John, that doggone it. Yeah, the tennis teaching is more about the technical skill set. And we need great tennis teachers. And we need – but there is a difference between tennis teaching and tennis coaching. Coaching is we're trying to get every ounce of every uh, bit of skill set that the good Lord has put into these young kids out of them. And by the way, coaches do not put things into kids. They learn how to use different methods of bringing things out of kids. And uh, I will I'll probably address this next week in, in talking that really your coaches only three tools of coaching, John, are the three P's, peers, pain, pleasure. In other words, peers surround them with the right people. Secondly, pain, if they don't do the right thing, or the third thing, pleasure, reward, if they do do the right thing. And that's about it, but how you use those things in getting the kids to understand how much you care about pushing them and pushing everything out of them is the key. So, yeah, there's big difference between teaching and coaching. And, look, we're all teachers, and those who are trying to push the nth degree out of the kids are coaches. Uh, and please understand this to your coaches out there. You know, these two mix together but but please understand that a coach's job is it's comfort bears no fruit in coaching it is not about making kids comfortable it is not about everybody liking you and yeah yeah everybody wants to be liked but 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 john it it is about getting everything out of the kids in finding different ways of motivating them so that's a Great thing to talk about. There is a difference between teaching and coaching. Yeah, and I, and I think sometimes uh, people don't understand. They get caught up with either titles or uh, groups. I I was running no-cut tennis at a high school before the USTA came out with a, a no-cut program, but uh, I was blessed to be able to develop uh assistance and everything to work with me and I was actually turned in when to uh, the USTA because I was named as one of the uh, no-cut coaches and they said but he he may talk about love and giving and listening to the kids and uh, his uh, parent player meetings that he runs before the seasons but he has makes them sign a contract, and it's he has rules and regulations. He's really cutting those people. And I I got tired of explaining, truthfully, that, no, these people are cutting themselves. It doesn't make them lesser people. It just means that the group that I'm trying to form and the family that I think is important is not a family they choose to be part of. And uh, it's so... I, I, 
I stopped using the term no-cut coach, even though I kept doing the same things I did for years because I got tired of trying to explain uh, to the USTA uh, if I was a no-cut coach or not. Uh, John, in my opinion, there is not a worse thing that the USTA has done to high school tennis in the past 30 years than to instigate this no-cut, dumbed-down, and to, you name, people have named it, and now you can blame it, that, here, here's the deal, look, I had a no-cut program at Clemson for my first 23 years until the university, because of, um, because of the Title IX gender equity or proportionality rules, I didn't cut anybody, but you had to make a 515 mile. And that means the best players and the worst players. And I had people, I had a player as MVP one time, and he was an all-state football and basketball player. He couldn't play a lick of tennis. He didn't play a down. He ended up being our team captain and MVP. Now, I didn't cut him. And, and here's the thing. At the Citadel, I still don't cut players if they can make their my 515 mile and do everything that's on and I don't have them sign a contract like you did, John, but I, they have to do everything, and then they cut themselves. It's a litmus test, but hear, hear, hear me out. When you label something a no-cut program, kids go, ah, oh, it's not really a sport. It's an after-school activity. Like, okay, we're going to have a bowling club, and by the way, you don't have to have mandatory attendance or show, oh, we're in the chess club. Oh, we're in the tennis club here. No-cut tennis kumbaya. We're going to teach everybody tennis. But the point is, the, the psychology of this thing, the USTA could not have done a, 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 a service that was any worse to high school tennis in our country than to declare that it's a no-cut program. Because right away you say it's not serious. The way you get kids out and the way you get kids to get better is you say, wow, we have, we, you, you, you do the reverse you know, you you have the the uh, awesome woman in the He-Man uh, tennis shop, shop. You know, I mean, you basically, John, you got to challenge the kids, and and this is just mind-boggling in the USTA how they have this philosophy that mass participation will somehow equal excellence, and it just works the opposite. Excellence will breed participation, much like Tiger Woods uh, stimulated golf for a lot of years and things. But participation does not breed excellence, John. John, that participation does not breed excellence. You wouldn't anybody that knows anything about music or the band or orchestras. You would never say, "We want you out to the band. We've got these great bands, and by the way, we're going to make an orchestra out of band members." What you do is you try to create a great orchestra, and by the way, that fifth and sixth seat that gets cut, you're going to be great in the band, you know. And then you cut the kids and you let them be in the band. You need to strive for excellence in the kids you cut. You have a JV team and a JJVV team, and you have and and you know kids kids want to pursue excellence and and golly so man oh man John I have so many problems with this whole 
mentality that someday, somehow, participation, if we just have enough people playing, will breed excellence. And it just it does not. So I I agree with everything you just said, uh, except one thing I respectfully must uh, disagree with you, and that is uh, the USTA no-cut program. I do think their intentions were good. I agree that the problem is is that most cases we have high schools that are play, paying coaches for a stipend for three months, and the truth of the matter is, if you really respect and you really want to help the uh, players and the parents, it's a year-round job. So that's why I had everybody new in Sebastian on the first Wednesday of September, the first Wednesday of October, the first Wednesday of November was a player-parent meeting. And okay, yeah, I agree I mean, what you said. Ninety yeah. percent of the people that came to there figured, well, and we had talked to each other. Why are you here? Oh, I guess Susie's here, so I thought I would come out. And yeah, and, and my, but John, uh, with good intentions. College that's told, or my, uh, I was told it's a better chance to get in college if I do this. So a coach has to weed them out, and that's what I'm saying. You have to sit there. And you have to sit there and say, there is expectations on you. This is what you have to do. And I didn't make them run a five-minute mile. They used to run a six-minute, six-and-a-half-minute mile or beat coach. That's fine for high school. Yeah, but that's uh, high school. So you, you can do that and still live by them, but I agree the USDA just has, should have done a better job supporting the high school coaches, but we have to support ourselves as coaches. We have to take the bull by the horn and say participation for everybody isn't going to make everybody better. And every week on my I show, I ask the same question. Is your high school having an after-school activity in tennis, or is it an after-school sport? Can I ask you one real quick question? Was the no-cut program in high schools instigated by the USTA or the high school league? Which one? Oh, I don't know. What we were doing, I did it long before uh, the USTA came out. I know, but I can remember going down to the PTR one year where I spoke. It's probably been 10 years ago, and I believe it was a USTA program. They were instigating this no-cut high school program, and I was beside myself. And I uh, gave a very passionate talk that, at that convention at the, at the folly of thinking that if you make things easier, you're going to make things better. You know, easy to pick up, easy to put down, hard to pick up, hard to put down. And it's and the whole thing we've got to do is stress to people who work for the USDA, you must separate participation events from performance events. You must Amen. get them out of the same room. It's just a complete dumb down. You you uh, dilute, pollute, and prostitute your best players. It's it's just Amen. I couldn't agree more. Let me ask you. Let me go on if I could, because selfishly I'm sure. hoping to get as many coaches uh, next weekend as possible. And one of the things that fascinated me is that you talk about what does the last 20% mean? 
Can you share a little of that without giving away too much for what you're going to talk no, about? I, I'm glad. I'm glad because there's a lot of meat on this bone. I've I've got a whole presentation on it, and uh, I'll have a lot of notes. I've presented really all, all, a lot of different countries the same think about the last 20 percent and it's very much in line with the good to great things or how do you how do you get the last bit of excellence out of people and I, I need to start a little bit John by saying that in the developmental process when you're working with kids on the court always the physical part you work with and then they learn the mental part and then emotion the mental part of how to use the physical and then lastly, they use the emotional part, and the emotional part has to be addressed to put the mental and the physical together. However, in performance on match day, the emotions must be dressed first. And, I, you know, to get, you get butterflies and you get them to fly in formation, and you get the balance of your emotions, then you have to mentally become engaged, and only then – the body can be engaged. So it, it works in these in these terms. So when I wrote my first book, Total Tennis Training, back in 1987, by the way, I hand-wrote that book. I took all the pictures. I drew all the charts. It was a process and a half. It, uh, it, it was quite a process. It was back before computers. But when I wrote that book, I uh, broke the book into four sections, the physical part, the mental part, the emotional part and then team and coaching considerations were the last part. Well, when I redid the book, uh, they so we sold that book sold very very well. Um, and then when we redid it and made Coaching Tennis, which is still in publication, it's been in publication for 20 years now, and it is really around the world. I, I when I was in India giving a coaches conference, uh, the guy who was running the conference had a copy of my my co- uh, coaching tennis book and, and the total tennis training and uh so it's been out there for a while but again i address the physical part the mental part and the emotional part as three independent um coaching students coaching uh uh coaching i i wanted to say banks of coaching that you have to address or schools of coaching you need to address. And uh, the last 20% really, here's here's the point. We have so many great facilities, so many learned coaches, so many opportunities that most of our players now are log jammed at the 60th, 70th, and 80th percentile. And uh, there is a wall of, I don't want to say stagnation, but there's a paralysis point there where, you know, um, everybody gets to this place and their playing ability and the coaches get them this far. But how to be excellent and move past being pretty good, that's where the trick is. And um, I've got a lot of visuals that I use in my talk and uh, to try to explain this. And the stagnation point is about the 80th percent point. Uh, and the real danger, the real slippery slope, the wind hitting you in the face, and all of the obstacles that happen the higher you climb on a mountain happen in that last 
20%. So um, to answer your question about where, what is that last 20%, it usually has to do with the mental and the emotional parts of the game. However, at this seminar, I will have two other um, two other seminar two other topics that you gave me, and basically, I've got one that's 13 checkpoints that a player can use or a coach can use in their teaching. But the the one that'll be interesting, and I've got handouts for all these at the conference, is basically uh, a check board, a checklist board that I have right now for my team and everybody that I work with. I, uh, I work with people on just these seven things, and I try to get them really good at seven things. Instead of being average at 35 things, I, try, I have seven things that I just really uh, pound, I hate to say pound into the kids, but I over and over and over and over again, I try to get the kids to be excellent with these seven things. And it's not, it's three or four of them are physical things like the tempo that teaching a higher level of tempo, you know, uh, how do you work on um, the weapons and the deep, what's the difference between the defense and the offense and the grinding and, and the kids learn about the different postures of their attacking game versus their countering game versus their grinding game. And so I've got seven things that I really, really try to get to the 90th and the 100th percent point. So the physical part is part of it, but it's mainly the mental part of the game and the emotional part of the game. So if I ask somebody, um, how do you hit the ball and what is the physical part? How do you do that's the how do you do uh, things or how you do it. Now, where do you hit the ball? Your shot selection and those things is part of the mental game. And then when do you do what? What are the tactical things that you do? The momentum control. John, I started working on momentum control in 1979. I have a beautiful, beautiful system of eight simple rules for the players to follow during match play that teaches them how to manage momentum. And guess what? It works in baseball, basketball, football. It works in sales. I've given this talk to groups of salespeople, and, uh, but how to manage momentum and how basically to compete against another person, and it gives you seven simple rule, eight simple rules on how to do it. So there's the how, the where, the when. John, most of the last 20% is the why, and that is the motivation for the journey, inspiring kids, inspiring people to go after things to the nth degree. Um, I, I, you know, John, look, I, I want to keep this real simple, and I am not slamming any of our youngsters, but we have taken away those three things, the peers, the pain, the pleasure, our peers are not very good right now in tennis. They're getting better. But, again, when you create an after-school activity out of a sport, eh, you don't exactly get the pr premier kids. If, you're, if you say to a group of kids like who are great athletes in a school and you're trying to get the best athlete and you say, hey, guess what, we got a no-cut policy. Well, you're not going to get the best kids, and I'm not slamming other kids. 
but but that does not inspire kids. So they've got to understand why they do it, the peer part of it. We have to have good role models. We have to have kids that work very, very hard and work for excellence and work for mastery, not just for success, John, for mastery over their skill set. And then also with the with the why part of it, with the kids, what the the, the tragedy right now is remember the three P's, peers, pain, and pleasure. The pain is not there. We are not allowed to discipline our kids for our wrong behavior sometimes. We are not allowed to push them to higher levels of excellence. One of the worst things that has happened is they don't allow you to practice kids after a match anymore. Well, to some of the administrators, they think, oh, you're going to punish the kids. That has nothing to do with it. What you do after kids lose, it's coaching 101, John. And all you coaches out there, coaching 101 is when the kids have bad pain after losing. You've got to turn it into good pain. You need to practice them to get it out of their system. You need to be able to allow kids to go run. And if they're really hurting, the worst thing you want them to do is carry the the bad pain with them for a couple of days. You've got to work kids hard. It's almost like you're doing penance for your sins. A lot of people... I, boy, John, I could go off on a different one there. I mean, a lot of we don't allow kids to feel ashamed for anything. We don't want them to suffer penance for wrongdoing or things. But it gets when you're not allowed to practice kids after matches, they got to carry it around with them. They carry the guilt around with them a lot of time. And uh, again, it's just wrong thinking. And then the the pleasure, the peers' pain, pleasure. The third thing or the reward of the pleasure. That it's terrible that we give so many participation trophies that the kids, it's like drinking water out of a fire hose for these kids. They get so much coming at them and so many trophies and so many T-shirts and so many things, they don't know the difference between diamonds and rhinestones. They don't really know, they cannot separate what the difference of a participation trophy is from something that's really good. So, John, Amen. those are, in essence, one, the last 20%. That's, that's what it is, the last, getting, getting the last 20% out of kids and how you do it. Very good. You, you, you know where, if you know where you are, then you can plan where you are going. And this is one of the reasons that we've done the last few years, and uh, your topic on uh, Saturday is Seven Steps Development, which the reason – I put it, Saturday. I'm blessed that you were said you would, you know, spend the extra day with us. But we open up the workshop to students as well as uh, coaches. Uh, truthfully, we'll lose some coaches on Saturday because they'll be skipping out. But uh, hopefully, we'll get some of the uh, high school students in. We don't uh, invite them on Thursday and Friday because we don't want to take them out of class. Uh, but I know uh, some of my former students will be coming up on uh, Saturday, and especially I wanted them to hear, uh, have them get an understanding of this seven steps uh, development. And, uh, so I just feel so blessed that you were able to sit there and tackle so many subjects uh, uh, for us. 
Well, thank you, John. I mean, go go ahead. ahead. Let's go ahead to something. I have something else, but you go ahead. I I just want to mention that one of the things you hit on a little bit is that, you know, pain is part of a winning game. Reward is part of a winning game. But when you allow things to be dumbed down or participation-based, the kit, look, don't even go there, coaches. We can't compete with the entertainment world. You know, I, uh, you know, I tell my children growing up. I'll tell, I'll tell my son or daughter. You know, uh, son, you've got three times in the day. You've got your dirty work time. Okay, you've got your passion time. You know, and you got your free time. Now that's it. You've got to figure out what these times are to be used for like your dirty work is hey i've got to straighten up my room i've got to do my homework and these things but you know what we hope that homework turns to passion time and we want free time is your time to enjoy your time time and everything but but uh, john we we get this all screwed up we're trying to teach our kids all the time have fun, have fun, have fun, and make it a free time event. It is not a free time event. You cannot change a free time event into a passion time until it means something. In other words, you know, your dirty work time, you hope that the dirty work practice that is really tough to do the running or, you know, the homework or the the, the, the piano is a good example. You know, it's dirty work. You have to do it. We hope that that can turn into passion time. But the free time thing, that's a tough one. That's sort of a goof-off time. You never want to make your sport a goof-off time event. And and it just aggravates me so, so much because this is the greatest sport, and it's the most challenging sport in the world. And those who don't see it as such are really missing the boat. Yeah, and there's no other sport. I mean, when you look at – I ask people all the time, can you tell me the top 50 uh, ten, male tennis player on ATP or the top 50, the 50th WTA, and nobody knows who they are. Uh, yeah, we have 700 and some people playing baseball. We know who all those people are. They're stars. I mean, tennis is the toughest sport. In my own bias, I've never coached uh, college uh tennis or I never coached college anything, but I really believe and I believed it when I was a, a basketball coach that coaching high school is harder than coaching college because you're stuck with what they've got. You're not going out recruiting. Uh, so you're changing. I remember in basketball I'd have parents say to me, Coach, you changed your whole philosophy on uh, coaching. Last year you were a fast-break team. This year, you know, you seem to be a defensive coach. Well, in high school, you have to take the talent. And part of the problem, I think, is, and this is why I ask the question every week and people get mad at me and I'll ask it again and I'll ask you as parents and players, is your high school playing tennis as an after-school sport or an after-school activity. And part of that responsibility is yours because you should be demanding. It's it's a fantastic sport that you 
should want to, to play. And if your school is not paying for a tennis coach and they're looking for somebody to monitor uh, the players to make sure they're getting on bus or to make sure that there's no serious problem and if that's what they're looking for and they don't understand about coaching just no. I, I don't when think I got into uh, this third, one of the great things I remember getting from your book was you went in way back then talking about scheduling and uh, and it's just so important I bring that question up a lot of times and people look at me well the athletic director takes care of that well, why does why your athletic director taking care of it? Does your athletic director know who the personnel on your team and who the other teams you're playing? What's your goals? What are you trying to do? Yeah, John, you know, you bring up a great point um, about the coaching here. I'd like to hit on that a second. Look, if they ask me, I don't, I don't, I know about basketball was my sport growing up in Indiana. I played tennis. I was a runner. I ran high school cross country and things. Uh, but if somebody said, we want you to coach soccer, you know what? I don't know anything about soccer, but I would never become a community organizer or an after school activity director and just say, I don't know anything about it and bail out. And I've got, I'd be sure in the heck reading up on it and trying to get some meat and potatoes fundamentals going. You know, and, and let me just throw this out there. I, For the life of me, I do not know how I got the job at Clemson University when I was 25 years old. You know, I, I sort of know uh, who recommended me, and I sort of know that thing. But, but think about that. I was at a, got to go to a major university at 25 years old. Tennis was really my second sport. I, I was up in Indiana trying to find a high school basketball coaching job. And I get the job, and it, it opened. I applied and interviewed, and I got the job. But, John, let me tell you what. I want, I did meat and potatoes at, at ten, out, out of 10, 1 to 10 level. I, I did meat and potatoes at 10 for what I knew. I got my, my goal the first year, I'm just going to get the guys in great shape. I'm going to get them a great schedule. I'm going to make sure that they make balls. And that was about it. Then the next year, oh, wait a minute, I picked up a lot. Wonderful coach, J.W. Eisenhower, was up at NC State, and he talked to me a lot my first year coaching, and I learned so much from him. And guess what? I implemented some of Paul Scarpa at Furman University was the Yoda uh, or the Obi-Wan Kenobi, whoever the smarter of those two. But he was a Yoda of tennis. And I can remember going on recruiting trips with him down to Florida and different places. I still use a lot of his ideas. And these guys believed in the law of reciprocities, and that's very important. I'll bring it up when I speak down there in Florida, too. The law of reciprocities means whatever you give away, you will get back tenfold. Now, that's the way that I've always believed. Tennis is a funny sport. People try to hoard their ideas and they don't give their ideas away. they do not lift other people up the most aggravating thing is uh, how people do not lift each other up in this sport but the law of reciprocities means you get back tenfold then there's the law of abundance and again that with the pain and the pleasure thing i got from those old anthony robbins personal power 
tapes and things many, many, many years ago. That's how I developed my Pierce Pain and Pleasure. But the point being, John, is that I have tried to come up with meat and potatoes things, and instead of doing 30 things sort of good, I've done six or seven or eight or nine things very, very well. Today, uh, I had four players in the tournament this last weekend. So tomorrow they're going to do a little report, okay, basically what I had that was good, what I didn't have, and what I'm going to do. And they've got to write a little bit of a – they keep a little journal. But that's it. So it's meat and potatoes. Look, meat and potatoes done really well is better than a smorgasbord of average. And so I wanted to make that point that you coaches out there – if you're really the golf, uh, say a soccer coach, and they get they're allowing you to coach tennis, do what you do well. Keep the kids motivated. Don't make it an after-school activity, and you will be surprised. You will be in the top 80 percentile of everybody right away. But nobody cares what you know unless they know that you care. I I just think in our sport, people say I don't know a lot about tennis, so they semi tank, and I don't care. It has nothing to do with what you're paid. Always in college, my answer in college, I made all my money basically put my kids through college, uh, their college, with uh, tennis camps in the summer. People ask me how much, when people ask me how much you got paid, I used to say, it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable how much what we got paid, you know, and I'm glad I could put food on the table, but we made our money in the camps, and daggone it, we're uh, just like high school teachers, right, John? It's unbelievable how much we we, It's just (laughs) terrible. Oh, my gosh. Well, I think that's what we tried. I tried to explain to people the importance of the uh, workshop and the importance of the certification program is basically – We're just trying to speed up the learning curve going through this because I I got involved in high school uh, tennis when I was, uh, well, back we used to have presidents of state organizations in the PTR, and I was the second president of the Florida section. And too many pros are saying, don't let your kid play, uh, if they're any good, play high school tennis. Some science teacher will rule them. And uh, so my campaign was, listen, if you're a real tennis pro and if you've seen your player once a week, you should know if something is happening or something is changing. And so that was my campaign. And an athletic director, uh, like it's Dutsky, who will be a guest who retired, who will be a guest on the show again in October, uh, he said, why don't you put your money where your mouth is and take over our tennis program? And that's how I got involved. But it's a learning curve. We all have to learn. And all and I always believe that the best coaches are the players that are just given. I've been asked, I don't know how many dozens of times, how in the world did you get Chuck Greasy to come to presentations? And on multiple days, how does that happen? How did you... You know, we've been blessed to have people come from California, from uh, Kansas, from all over the country to come to the workshop. The top 
coaches, in my opinion, the reason they're that way is because just what you just said a few minutes ago, Chuck, they're, they're giving back. And uh, I'm just so blessed that uh, I heard you so many times and we uh, were able to talk together and you allowed me to steal your things. Uh, it was nice to hear you talk about the Black Door story uh, again for uh, the last two years. I haven't used it because I haven't been the head coach and associate coach, but my players knew that ever since I learned it from you. Thanks, John. And, you know, I, I wanted to say this. It's it's not, you know, it's easy to say, like, oh, everybody's just a giver who's a coach and all this. My wife asked me, we went on sort of a getaway weekend, and uh, she was asking me, you know, we we're talking about the coaching. Coaching's crazy. I mean, I've I've given some seminars. I've given seminars now in, like, 21 countries and on five continents. And, um I was in Asia a long time, about two years. I was traveling around Southeast Asia. I did stuff. and But the point is, I, I said, honey, do you think that I try any less when I work with the little seven- and eight-year-old girls that are in my daughter's group? Do you think I just tank that because they're little bitty girls and I, you know, just try? Honey, I, I give the same effort. <laughs> you give the same effort. You know, years ago, I, and, and I'm not, uh, but I'm thinking that, you know, uh, Nick Saban, if he was coaching high school football, it's not like he would kick back and say, oh, I'm Nick Saban, and hey, you guys go out and do a good job at it. And if anybody did that, they're they're foolish. You know, if right. I'm working with a 3.5 ladies group on a Tuesday night, I give my butt, pardon the French, but I give what I got. And and because and the reason why is that I'm I, my whole life I've been scared to death. It's those old basketball coaches I had when I was young, or I played five years of football up until junior high. But it, you know, it's basically, you know, tanking. It becomes a habit. Withdrawing energy, not just tanking. Withdrawing energy becomes a habit. You don't pick and choose. You don't pick and choose when you're going to try hard. And I'm scared to death of the habit ever happening for not trying hard. And you know, you goof up, but but you, you but you you always give your best, John. So uh, look, one one other thing I wanted to address: the reason high schools are struggling right now with getting caught, sort of participation versus performance, and coaches out there, it has a lot to do with the format use. The college format is is also terrible team tennis is a participation friendly event tournament tennis is better for an activity that is um, that will propel kids to higher and higher heights now there's a place for team tennis and participation for the high school event but but i want you to think about this uh what if you guys had two dual matches in two weeks, but then every couple of weeks you had a weekend tournament where you put all the kids? What of a mixture of the participation and the performance? Do you see that if you're a number five guy on the high school team and you play in a weekend tournament and you pop up and win the tournament, the next Monday you're going to be playing number one for the team. 
And the coach is going to go, whoa, I'm glad that happened because I would have had this talented player down at number five. We impede people's progress when we do this team sport too much. Tennis is an individual sport that has some team opportunities. But notice, John, that we only have three, currently three former NCAA American players that are the top 100 in the world. At one time in the mid-'80s, we had, I think, 39. I think it was 39 in the top 100 because we had a hybrid model of a lot of tournaments in the spring plus some dual matches. And, boy, has hit been dumbed down. It is awful. It's awful what's happening in college tennis, and it's awful that players don't get better now. And, uh, John, it's the format. It's not the coaching as much as the format. I think the coaches down there, you guys should do something about that. And I'll leave you with this one. Paul Scarpa and I used to go down the first four or five years I coached. The best recruiting tournament of the year was two places. The Florida State High School Tournament, it was over in Tampa, and we used to go up to the New Jersey State High School Tournament. New Jersey kids were tough and competitive, and boy, oh, boy, did you find some good scrappy kids up there. You know, so I, I just something think that's uh, some food to chew on there, coaches. I, I think that, that the team stuff is sort of a dumb down, and the kids know it. I might just add to uh, that there for those of you that do get Florida tennis, and if you're not getting it, shame on you. But in the, um, what, the March, uh, February, March issue, uh, honor our game and protect traditional scoring uh, was an opinion section that Coach Chuck Reese did there. And uh, it's an outstanding piece, in my opinion. Uh, I know uh, Mike Kuypers and I uh, discussed it on a radio uh, broadcast earlier, and we talked about the FHSAA and uh, changes and his his objections to things. So, uh, and I did follow that up, although I mine wasn't as successful in the April and May issue. I talked about the tennis journey should be fun, and I did get some objections that, well, he talked about work and this and that, and it wasn't, I didn't hear so much of the fun part. Well, I I must admit I do have a problem that uh, people that think that working hard can't be fun. Or that now, losing is not fun, is John. Not necessary. <laughs> competition is something these kids are going to need the rest of their life. Losing is not look. Losing is not fun. I, it drives me crazy. My son's in little league baseball, and uh, the kids up. And I spoke to this last week on my program. Go to uh, the program, my American Tennis program, last week. But I talk about that. Being tough is not a natural instinct. You'd have to learn how to fight through things. And shame on you coaches out there and say, oh, we ought to just make it fun. You know what? The most fun is by giving everything, getting better at it, going through the ups and the downs. Now, that's fun. Amen. But when you say, oh, let's just, let's just have fun. Now, 
let me let me let me say this about the scoring system real quick. To USTA and to the ITA and to all the high school people out there, if you honor the game, it will honor you. If we don't honor the game, it will not honor us. Your first job, USTA, your first job is your responsibility to the history and the heritage of our game. We have some marketeers, and I don't know who the, I don't do not know exactly who those are that are responsible for this. But the dumb down of the game is simply appalling. It's terrible, and there the marketeers are out there pushing this. Oh. It's longer than three hours. We've got to make it shorter so the public enjoys it. And that's ludicrous. And even if it wasn't, the arrogance of them saying, we're so smart, let's change something that has been in effect for 143 years. For 143 years, we've used traditional tennis scoring. And you coaches out there need to be outraged, and you need to stand up and speak out against this awful thing that they are trying to do to our sport. And who these people are, I know five or six of them. And uh, they're, they're, they're the bastardization of our sport will not attract excellence. You do not attract excellence by dumbing things down. It's like arena football. Do uh, you think arena football is really just uh, that's an offshoot thing? You know, and if you want to play no-add scoring or 10-point tiebreakers, John, we need an asterisk. You know, just like a wind-aided or a a five-game, five-inning baseball game, we need an asterisk instead of counting it as something that that is right. And and the, the thinking, let's get it right here. Let's say John Denise is all-knowing, all-wise, and he is the swami of tennis in the whole United States, it would be extremely arrogant of you or me or the USTA president or any of you guys, the arrogance is beyond belief to say, you know what, we know how to how to really bring tennis along. We're going to make no-ad scoring. We're going to change. The, well, let's do this to baseball, too. Let's make baseball three balls, two strikes, and guess what? You cannot have more than six pitches because that's too long of a person to be up at bat. And then they start making these changes. It is completely ludicrous. And most of it, John, is done by these consultants groups. These consultant groups are these wingmen that they bring in. They're they're shadow boxers who they bring in, and they pay them money. And guess what? If it works, then then – those who hire these these guys get some credit, I guess. If it doesn't work, they have no accountability. But we need those people who are responsible for this uh, terrible thing that's going on, John, to stand up and say, you know what, I'm responsible. It's me. It's on me. I think I'm more important than the history and the heritage of the game. I think not – it's uh, John. John, have I said it in a passionate enough way? But we need all you coaches out there to say it the same way. These guys I are. That, I think the problem is today that too many people are fearful. I think we've 
as a society, I, I mean, it's obvious the USDA hasn't learned to separate the uh, as the competitive aspect to the recreational aspect. But too often, coaches are afraid of you know being politically correct. I mean, our whole society today. And people, I think, are afraid to speak out. At one time, you know, I would, I used to tell, and I don't know, and I got it from somebody else, but uh, in a different lifetime, the people that worked for me, I said, I'd rather sit there and uh, tell you let's correct that mistake than you worry about making, not making a mistake. There is no critical, correct way of doing things, and too often, I think we get hung up on who we are instead of listening to what the you know what the people want. You know who's the player? How many? Two. I think of times uh, you know when going out on the changeover. Can I go out on the changeover? Can I say what you say enough positive things to get that critical point at one? There's many times that during a changeover. I would have nothing to say because I see something that I, that I knew was wrong, but I knew that I didn't have enough time to sit there and get my point across. So let's get the point across. But instead today we sit there in board meetings and we just agree. And I think I love the USDA. I've been a member of there. I sat on the board of directors in Florida for eight years. And uh, I, I used to uh, tell the executive director often, you need me because every good organization has 10% of it that's going to sit there and be challenging. And you, you don't have 10% yet. So right now you need me. Well, John, I, uh, I love the people who are in the USTA, a lot of them. I do not like the USTA as a bureaucracy. It's like a bureaucracy that is it's like a monster that they keep feeding and it is devouring all of us with the overregulation it's like government it's grown to the place where it's overly regulated it overly regulates everybody else its tentacles are out over everything and the teaching and the coaching and everything and guess what i don't you know these guys some of the, some of these people that are it's not that I, you don't respect everyone, John, but there is an arrogance. There is doggone arrogance about acting like you have the end-all answer. And wow, we just got smart after 143 years. We got just got <laughs> smart because we have computers. It, well, we do this stuff a lot because we can. Definitely not because we should. And um, you know, so. You know, the point being is we need people to stand up and speak out. And let me make this one point here, John, very quickly. I know you're running out of time here. But the very, very important thing, John, is that people have become sheeple. They basically, we have a herd mentality, and people speak out for the stupidest doggone things in the world. And we have these movements going out there. But things that affect us like this why in the world are all these coaches so afraid to speak out, stand up and speak out? We have freedom of speech in this country. You know, but a lot of the older coaches, they just said, I'm out of here pretty soon. It doesn't matter. Young coaches say, I just want to fit in. 
And the middle coaches say, I want to keep my position. I don't want to make waves. Well, we got a bunch of sheeple. But it's uh, it's darn awful. I love our sport. I told a group of people, I feel like our sport being bastardized like this would be like seeing your son grow up to be a drug dealer or your daughter growing up to be a prostitute. And that's pretty harsh stuff. But it's really, we have really, really dumbed down with the lack of respect that we have for our sport, John. Well, Coach, thank God there are people like you still around, and uh, because I don't know how long I'm going to be around. But we're going to have to continue this conversation uh, in Orlando because uh, I can't believe it, but we killed an hour already. <laughs> and that's, uh, well, it's fun. always a pleasure talking to you, and uh, God bless you for all you do, and thank you for uh being with us in Orlando October sixth, seventh, and eighth. I listen I hope John, I'm looking forward to it. Thank you, sir, for having me on. Thank you. And thank you everybody for joining. I just remind you there will be no show next week. Thursday's a busy day. Tell your friends though to join us and have a blessed week. Take care now. Bye bye. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash Boost by Tax Day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial, LLC, member SIPC.